Caroline Park is going to be sharing with us. She's going to be continuing in our series, uh, The Power of the Holy Spirit in Ordinary Time. Let's welcome Caroline. Good morning. Good to see you all on this beautiful fall day. So Sarah mentioned, um, as Sarah mentioned, we're in the series called The Power of the Holy Spirit in Ordinary Time. We've talked about the movement of the Holy Spirit breaking out of heavens to descend on Jesus. This is when I spoke last time um, as Jesus was getting baptized and also out of the temple when Jesus breathed his last and the temple curtain was torn in two. She broke out of the Holy of Holies, the Holy Spirit, um, or the most holy, and the um, holy place, past the court of priests and court of Israel, court of women and the Gentile, into the open to where we are, filling the whole earth. So Holy Spirit is about movement. The, there are metaphors in the Bible used to describe the Holy Spirit. Um, there are wind and dove and the river of living water, they're all about movement and flow. And as she moves, she connects different worlds together. She blurs the boundaries and mixes things up. And what I want to talk about today is the mixing of the sacred and the secular, the holy and the ordinary, the divine and the human. It used to be that there were specific holy places where you expected to meet God, like the temple. But with the Holy Spirit moving into the world out of the temple, the lines have blurred. Sometimes we experience nothing of God in places that are supposed to be sacred. Worse, we sometimes can experience cruelty or abuse in, in those places. Then we also experience God, then the movement of the spirit in non-religious secular settings. The first example that comes to my mind is the Hamilton musical. A few years ago, we got to watch the musical. When it first came out, um, our whole family was obsessed with it, like uh, and with the rest of the rest of New York. We listened to the songs over and over. All our kids memorized the words, and the musical is powerful and so dynamic, but also full of profanity and very reverent. But when I sat there to watch the musical, I started crying even before it started um, because I felt something so very deep there. I felt so strongly that the Holy Spirit was there and that she was moving through the musical. Something has shifted in the world and it is not like what it used to be anymore. And some say that there is nothing sacred anymore. Some say mystics Everything can be sacred. How are we to approach this? How are we to understand what is holy and sacred and what is not? Thankfully, 
Jesus, with the Holy Spirit in him, was a major player in this blurring of the holy and the ordinary. And his stories could tell us a lot about this dynamic. So there are two stories I want to share with you today. From one, The first one is from Matthew 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I I do choose, be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleaned. Then Jesus said to him, "See see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So a little bit of background um, here. The Old Testament law, that's the time before Jesus, had very strict purity codes. There were certain things or conditions that caused people to be ritually unclean. Some food was unclean, like pork or shellfish, or working on Sabbath, or touching if you touched dead bodies, animal or human, or certain illnesses um, were considered unclean. When someone is declared ritually unclean, they could not enter the temple. They could not approach God. To be declared clean again, they had to recover from their conditions first, and then perform the rituals and sacrifices that were required by the law. The uncleanness also was contagious. So if you touched something or someone who are ritually unclean, this also made you unclean as well. And leprosy and other severe skin diseases uh, were one of the illnesses that made the sufferers, sufferers ritually unclean. So this man with the leprosy in the story, with no cure back then, was not only excluded from all religious rituals, therefore from approaching God, but also from his community, for others would become unclean and unacceptable to God if they touched him. There's a passage in Leviticus uh, regarding this law. Um, It says, The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So we understand now why he must have Jesus um, must have asked Jesus to make him clean instead of maybe saying make him well or um, better. And what Jesus does is shocking in today's standard, but especially in the standard of his time and culture. The story says he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touches the ritually unclean man. Jesus was a Jew, so he is going completely against their law. 
and also the fear of contracting the disease himself. And what happens here is the opposite of what usually happens. When something unclean touches something clean, the clean thing becomes unclean, right? Even in the natural world, if my clean clothes touch mud, the mud does not become clean, but my clothes become dirty. (laughs) But here, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the man becomes clean. The Holy Spirit flows out of Jesus and touches the man and makes him healthy and clean. It's the Holy Spirit and her power of heaven breaking into the into our imperfect, ordinary world. Then Jesus gives a man who's just been cleaned the instructions to go and show himself to the priest and offer sacrifices, which is what the law required for him to be declared ritually clean again so he could go back to his family and become part of his community again. Here's another story. This one is from Mark 5. And a large crowd followed him, Jesus, and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured too, endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Hemorrhaging was another condition that made the sufferers ritually unclean. According to the Old Testament law, women were ritually unclean every month and every time gave birth. And this woman had constant hemorrhaging for 12 years, um, physically suffering from the condition and isolated from her community. So she was not supposed to be in a public space, in a crowd, without letting others know that she was unclean. But she thinks to herself that if I but touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So she breaks a whole lot of rules. She's in the crowd secretly, and she deliberately reaches out and touches someone, making that person and everyone who was jostling against her in the crowd ritually unclean. Which is why she is hesitant to come forward 
and is in fear and trembling when Jesus asks, who touched me? But again, the flow of power, the Holy Spirit was at work. It says, immediately aware that power had gone forth from him. And this touch makes the woman clean and well instead of making Jesus unclean. The power of the spirit is stronger than darkness. These are only two stories out of many where Jesus crosses the boundaries of cleanness and uncleanness of their time. He touches and converses with Gentiles, which means non-Jews. Contact with Gentiles would make Jews ritually unclean automatically. He was known for eating and drinking with sinners, those who were at the bottom of the social hierarchy and shunned by the good people. He keeps entering into what was defined as unclean, unholy, human, broken, and imperfect, and shows us a new way of interacting with God, a new way of understanding our relationship with God and what it means to be holy and sacred. The temple system and the belief of the time was that what is imperfect in us, what is broken and unclean in us would cut us off from God and from the community. So that naturally people strived to avoid the unclean and unholy in themselves and in others, in people they lived with. The darkness and brokenness in us, people believed, are repulsive to God. And other people's darkness and uncleanness can be a threat and a curse for everyone else. So people not only needed to care to clean their acts and keep all the rules, but they had to make sure that everyone else who lived in their land did too. So the society's punishment for those who didn't comply, who veered out of the norm, was harsh. And this attitude toward God and life and holiness is not specific to Judaism or the past. It still happens all over the world, including in our own culture. Who among us has No fear of darkness in us. The fear of our own shortcomings and failings being exposed. The fear that we will be found out as fraud. Or that our woundedness and weakness will be judged. Even to this day, we still fear the others who are different from us. We fear strangers and foreigners, especially if they are poor, less fortunate, and have suffered more. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit usher in a new way of interacting with God and her holiness. Jesus touch, touching those who were 
considered unclean and healing and restoring them. He shows us that the power of the Holy Spirit is stronger than any darkness that we might harbor in us or among us. He shows us that like the uncleanness of those in the stories, our brokenness and imperfections are not the cause for expulsion anymore. They are the very place where Jesus reaches out and touches. They're the doors through which the Holy Spirit flows. We become clean and holy not by avoiding the unclean, but by actively receiving light and life from the Spirit. It is impossible to become clean by avoiding the unclean because, well, how can you possibly avoid all uncleanness in life if we are to live and love? And perhaps more fundamentally, how do we avoid darkness when it is also in us? Our only hope is to connect to God and receive life. This flow of life toward us, that is the Holy Spirit. And she is stronger than any darkness. And this willingness to let God touch us, the willingness to let God touch the weakest and the darkest places in us, that is faith. When Jesus says to the woman who is now healed, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He doesn't mean that the woman confessed that Jesus is the Lord and Savior because she did not. She did not have the correct theology or the statement of belief regarding who Jesus is because she didn't know. But she dared to hope for the God who would make her better. And she opened herself up and let God touch her. It was the same with the man with the leprosy. He said, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. That's faith. He opened herself, himself up for God to touch the most broken and shameful part of him. And he was made clean. Our faith is not so much about being a good person or living a moral life as staying connected to the spirit and letting her touch us, speak to us, and change us. Whenever we come in contact with her, whenever she reaches out and touches us, whenever we reach out and touch even her cloak, we receive life from her. We're healed and changed little by little. That is our salvation. And when we are connected to her, to the Holy Spirit, we're given the gift to love others, to give away the life and light we've received 
being the pipeline for the Holy Spirit for others around us, instead of shrinking back from those who might be unclean. Jesus said, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. That's about staying connected, right? And at the end of his talk, he says, this is my command, love each other. We become clean and holy, not by avoiding the unclean, but by actively receiving light and life from the Spirit. So how do we do this? How can we connect to the Holy Spirit and receive from her? How do we remain in Jesus? There's no one way to do this. There's no magical way to just make that happen. But I'm 100% certain that the Holy Spirit is always ready to engage us and always nudging us toward her. And I do have a few practical suggestions for how to connect to the Holy Spirit. My first suggestion is to let the Holy Spirit come close to your anger and grief. Some of us have been hurt and wounded and carry anger and grief in us, consciously and unconsciously. And they can get in the way of connecting. But thank God that we're not saved by our perfection or blamelessness, but by receiving life from the Spirit. And our wounds, even anger and grief, can be where we meet the Holy Spirit. Last week was tough for many of us watching and hearing what's happening um, in the news with the Supreme Court confirmation process. Friday morning I woke up and my neck and shoulders were all stiff. And uh, without realizing I was holding so much tension in my body. And this whole thing has made many of us to relive painful memories of being physically and sexually violated and of not being believed, respected, listened to. The memory is of um, feeling powerless, feeling that what we do or say don't matter. Like the women in the story who were not allowed to stand tall and ask Jesus for help. Even the man with the leprosy could do that. But she had to sneak up on Jesus just to touch his clothes. She believed that Jesus had the power to make her well, but perhaps wasn't quite sure if she was worth it. But Jesus stops everyone, stops everything, and seeks her out. Not to punish her, but to listen to her. And he lets her tell the whole story. 
And there must have been a lot of anger and grief she stored up in herself for all her life. But especially the 12 years of her illnesses, talking to the doctors and not getting better. Perhaps the doctors not really listening to her or believing her. And I imagine some of that anger and grief draining out of her as she speaks to Jesus with his whole attention on her. Like this woman, perhaps some of us feel that we're bleeding inside, have been bleeding a while, we're permanently wounded. The world may say to us that this wound makes us unworthy and unclean. But the Holy Spirit says to us, I'm right here with you. I grieve with you. I hear you. I believe you. I see you. Let me love you. She meets us in our wounds and scars. The Holy Spirit meets us in our wounds and scars. And our wounds become sacred. That is what is sacred. This is where we become holy as we let ourselves be, t- be cared for and be loved. But anger and grief are not easy to face. It's not easy to face alone. We need others' help. And we need God's help. So I want to pray for you today. For those of you who want to let God come through your anger and grief to touch you. I have asked some of our leaders to come up and pray together with me for you. So if you guys could come up. John and Sarah and Melinda and Brent. So if you want the Holy Spirit to come close to you in your anger and grief, you can just silently receive the prayers from us. You can put your hands out as a gesture of receiving if you feel comfortable doing that. So let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, I pray for those of us today who carry wounds inside, that you would come close and comfort us, bind our wounds and heal us. I break the lies of shame, powerlessness, worthlessness over us in Jesus' name, and pray that you would restore our bodies our hearts, our minds, and restore our voice and strength, Holy Spirit. Holiest, most loving parent, I invite you on behalf of my brothers and sisters here to come and let your tender wave of love, kindness, and joy touch the rage, the sadness, tension 
and confusion that dares to rob us of peace. If anyone here has found themselves feeling trapped or overwhelmed by past trauma, fear and doubt, I pray that you, my most kind mother and father, console their hearts, ease their pain, and break the cycle of oppression here in our church and let it overflow in Jesus' name. Dear God, for those of us who have been assaulted, taken advantage of, belittled, silenced, and pushed aside, I ask for your comforting presence. Be with us. Reassure us. Defend us. Vindicate us. Restore us. Heal us. Strengthen us, free us, and give us peace. Jesus, so many of us are feeling afraid and vulnerable, and that often causes us to withdraw from others in isolation or even to lash out in frustration. But God, may your pure and perfect love cast out all the fear in our lives and meet us now in our vulnerability so we can remain tender and open-hearted. Everlasting one, may each person here right now in this moment experience your peace and the comfort of your presence in the midst of pain. And we, in this moment, respond to your loving invitation to share our frustrations and our sorrows with you. Be our peace in the midst of the storm. Everlasting one, we turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I have been um, auditing a class at Union Theological Seminary this semester and have been having a lot of fun. The class is called the Introduction to the Bible, and uh, we read through the whole Bible and look at it as a story. But as we read through the Bible, one theme that comes up over and over again is that God is the God of the oppressed. Uh, The Bible, our scripture is written by the people who are oppressed, and God stands with us. The professor, she is um, brilliant, wrote this powerful and insightful article about God who stands with the weak. I have prepared some copies um, of the articles in the back with her permission for those of you who would like to take a look. And if you would like to get more prayers along this line, Brent and Melinda will be available to pray for you in the back during the worship time. My second practical suggestion is to forgive yourself. There may be darkness in you that you're ashamed of or feel guilty about. It might be your shortcomings perceived flaws or choices you've made in the past, 
or the ways you feel that you are falling short. But shame and guilt get in the way of receiving. Shame and guilt make us want to cover up the darkness and brokenness in us and try to distance ourselves um, from them as much as possible. But in that posture, we can't let the Holy Spirit come and touch. If we can't even touch our own darkness, how will we let God to touch it? So we need to forgive ourselves for them. We need to forgive ourselves for being imperfect and flawed and make peace with our limitations so we can let the Holy Spirit in. So now if there's any anything um, that you want to be forgiven for, feel like there are any darkness or shame and guilt in you that you want to let go of and forgive yourself for. Um, you can silently pray to, uh, pray to God now. I'll give you one minute. And I say in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Come Holy Spirit and touch us. Amen. My third and final suggestion is to make it your daily habit to interact with God, which is not easy to do. But it is a sure way to get closer to God. And once you form the habit of doing it, it begins to become easier and more enjoyable. You know how we say to friends, stay in touch, right? That is the way with God as well. We need to stay in touch if we want to be closer to God and receive from her continually. Um, a few tips in doing that, if you have had struggle with it before. One is it is very helpful to have a set time during the day to interact with God. It could be different from person to person what your preference is. Um, secondly, it is also helpful to decide how you want to engage God, interact with God beforehand. So it's like having a date. You want to have a plan when you have a date. You want to have a time. You want to decide on what you're going to do when you meet. Otherwise, you know, it could be kind of not as fun. I like um, morning time. I am a morning person. I guess I've become a morning person. Used to not be. Um, so I like to sit in the morning, and um, I I like to usually start by journaling my thoughts and writing down my conversations with God to um, interact with Him. Um, so I don't have to decide every day when to talk and when to what to do when we meet. So you might want to think about that. Journaling is an easy way. If you like to journal, you, there's no right way to do it. You can just start by talking to God in your journal and pause and trying to hear from God. We'll talk about journaling a little bit more in a few weeks. 
Sarah also taught us last week about uh, the examine, and she led us through the examine exercise during the uh, during the service. It's an, it's a great spiritual exercise we could do every day to engage with God. It's an easy way to do it. Uh, she also recorded the examine for the end of the day, so that we could we might be able to listen to it and follow the exercise on the way back home from work or um, in the evening at, at home. Um, I tried it um, last week, and her voice is very calming, wonderful. I was feeling kind of anxious, and it really helped me to identify where it was coming from and gave me more peace. So I really highly recommend it. The easiest way to access it is, if you have river apps, do you guys have river apps? There is a this call, called a thing called river apps. <laughs> so if you go to the app store and search River NYC, there is our app for you, and you could um, connect to the sermons and a lot of different things on the app. If you go to the sermons and um, you could see for the last few few weeks, uh, all the sermons are there. And one um, right there, it says, examine for the end of the day. That is where you get your examine recording. It lasts about nine minutes. So it's great. Um, and the app is a great way to connect in other ways as well. If you are a parent and have children um, in River Kids programs, there's also a section where... River Kids this week, and you will see what the preschoolers and the, what the elementary schools stories are for the week, what they're doing so that you can stay connected as well. Last week, our elementary school kids, and I think preschool too, also tried the examine with varying successes. Um, so if you have kids in your, uh, in our program, you might want to talk about that. You might be, you might want to Try, there's also recording for that as well, for the more kid-friendly recording. So if you want to try that together, um, let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you um, that you're God of love, you're God of grace. Thank you that you're always coming to us and touching us, and healing us, and speaking to us. Thank you that you want to know us, you want to hear from us. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, today that you would break through any kind of barriers that we might have in us. And I pray that you would help us open ourselves up and receive you today in ways that we haven't before. Come, help us to be your friend. In Jesus' name, amen.